The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Beal trying to get free for a shot, having trouble, gets it to Bertans, who gets it off in time. Huge play by Davis Bertans. Great find by Bradley Beal. Make it six wins, Tommy, in a row for your now potential playoff-bound Washington Wizards. Tommy's with me today. Cooley's getting knee surgery. He wants to be on the show tomorrow. We'll see if he can make it. If not, we'll do something with Cooley on Saturday uh, to get some of his latest draft uh, film breakdowns. A reminder to all of you, if you haven't subscribed, doesn't cost you anything, helps us. Also, especially on Apple Podcasts, if you can rate us and review us, if you haven't done that, it takes less than 30 seconds. Um, That helps us as well. Um, We've got a few things to get to, including... Literally, as we started to record this podcast, or shortly before, because Tommy read the entire article, a story uh, in Sports Illustrated that is very deep on Alex Smith and the time here, and some things that he said in this story written by Greg Bishop um, that we haven't heard before as it related to the organization. Um, We will get to that. Tommy wrote a column. Uh, We'll cover that. Um, And a few other things NFL draft related. But I do want to start with the Wizards because, you know, early in the year, remember we, we discussed, and I know I did it on the radio show, and I know I did it with you. We discussed whether or not you would go back and redo the Wall for Westbrook trade. Wall started off in Houston looking like the old John Wall, and Westbrook was not very good. He was coming off an injury, and you know, you you know me. I, I've been a lifelong Westbrook fan, but even I was like, I think we got him way too late. It's just not. I mean, this is not the same Russell Westbrook. But that was a reasonable uh, knee jerk reaction. It so reasonable knee jerk. Is that? Yeah. Is that a contradiction? Is that an oxymoron? Well, I, I guess knee-jerk isn't the right word, but, I mean, your first your first thoughts would, would think at that point that, uh, you know, the Wizards got the short end of this deal. Okay. I, I felt that way. I'll admit it. And, and, I, and I love Russell Westbrook. And one of the big questions I had on the trade was, were we getting Russell Westbrook 
too long after his prime? And were we giving away John Wall with John Wall's potential to come back healthy? You know, Wall hasn't been terrible, but he's missed a lot of games on an absolutely terrible team. Westbrook started poorly. And now, Tommy, I think it's very clear he is the leader of this team. He and Beal play well together, and he understands when to defer to Beal and vice versa. But Russell Westbrook is the heart and soul of this basketball team. He is, first of all, do you know that he's now eight triple doubles away from Oscar Robertson's career high of 181, of tying it, and then nine away from breaking it? He could do it this year. Because he's basically got a triple-double almost every night, and they still have 13 games left. My sense is, is he, he, he probably will break Oscar's all-time record this year. Last night, by the way, I didn't think was a very impressive overall game for Westbrook, or Beal for that matter, but 14 points, 20 rebounds... 20 rebounds for a six foot three inch guard and 10 assists. Somebody um, asked me this morning, is he the greatest rebounding guard of all time? I know Oscar was six five. He's six three. It's either Oscar or Westbrook. It's one of the two. You know, uh, Jason Kidd was a pretty good rebounder, um, but Westbrook is incredible as a rebounder. It's ridiculous. Yes, he is. Now, here's the thing. It, it's it's a good time to be a rebounding guard in the league. Okay? Because there's not a lot of rebounders under the basket anymore. So it's a good time. If you're if you're a guard that 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 happens to be interested in rebounding, there's opportunities for you. Um okay. But at the same time, there were more opportunities back then because shooting percentages were lower. I get that. And but by no, the way, there weren't because the ball wasn't reaching out to where the guards play. Well, I, I okay, that's true too. That that is that's a fair point. Guards weren't asked to go in and rebound. Right. Um, Oscar for his. And they got to go. They got to go in and rebound for the seven footers that are putting up thirty foot shots. Oscar, for his career, averaged seven and a half rebounds a game. Um, Russell Westbrook, for his career, is averaging 7.3 rebounds a game. So, um, you know, Russ is going to have his fourth season of averaging a triple-double. As we know, Oscar um, did it um, just once. Once or twice. Once. He just did it once. Uh, so anyway, um, you know, I, I was thinking about something and I do want to talk about the game and I, and I won't make it long, I promise. But I was thinking about something. A friend of mine texted me last week and said, you know, it's not going to be crazy that if Russell Westbrook has a couple of years, like the one we're watching, that we could say that Russell Westbrook is, is one of, if not the greatest player in franchise history. I think, I mean, I would never... Well, you can't say he's the greatest player in franchise history. Again. I would never Again, put him in front of Elvin. you can't do that. I would never put him in front of Elvin Hayes or Wes Unseld. Okay. But if he has, let's just say, three years between 32, 32, 33, 34 years old of averaging a triple-double over the next three years, 
uh, he's in the conversation of like the, yeah. the greatest I mean, of, four of, you know, or five players ever. Two? Absolutely. Yes, I would agree with you. I mean, you know, unfortunately, it's really hard to say that about a player unless they at least have some playoff success. And the Wizards aren't going to have playoff success this year. You know, maybe next year they will. By the way, you know, all of this is making it more likely that Beal does stay here. Now, you know, he's younger and he's going to have a significant part of the backside of his career without Russ more likely than not. But playing he's with He's got a super max deal coming up. Yeah, I know. I know, but remember so. we were just talking a few, you know, weeks ago before the trade deadline of you got to get rid of him because yeah. you're not going to no, have right. him after next year and you're going to get nothing in return. You're right. So Last night's game, real quickly, the bottom line is, yes, they played good defense on Steph Curry, uh, but so do a lot of teams play good defense on Steph Curry, and it doesn't matter. Steph Curry could not hit the broadside of a barn or hit the ocean from a boat to, you know, old-fashioned um, you know, boomer expressions when talking about a, a bad shooting night in basketball. He uh, he had a wide open three with about two minutes to go that didn't even hit the rim. I mean, this is a guy that's been on one of the best rolls of all time, and I I I think I suggested it on the podcast yesterday. I definitely did on the radio show. The game that they played against Philadelphia a couple of nights ago was just a draining game. It was an intense game. It was a comeback win for 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 Golden State. Um, it was really, uh, it was really, you could tell, a physically draining game for everybody involved. And Curry had 49 and went off for 20 in the fourth quarter. And I actually, you know, on the radio show yesterday, anyway, you can go back and listen to it. I said, I like the Wizards plus two. I think they might be catching Golden State in a spot in which they're, they're coming off this big win. And it was really an exhausting win. And that's what Curry was last night. He was exhausted. And it was just one of those nights in a league that plays 82 games where you got one of the four or five nights of the year that he was just not Steph Curry, which is great because it benefited the Wizards. They did play good defense on him. You know, they were switching. They were trying to run him off, you know, ball screens with hard hedges and doubles. And that led to a lot of easy uh, layups for the Warriors in the first half in particular. But even when he got shots off that weren't closely contested, bricks, total bricks. That's why they won the game. Now, the other reason they won the game is Westbrook at the end of the game and then Beal followed him just was relentlessly on the attack. There's a stretch of that game. They're down 11. They cut it to eight, and Westbrook goes on three straight possessions, two layups, and a foul in two free throws. Six points, cut an eight-point lead to two, um, and they were right back in it, and then Beal took it over from there, attacking the rim. And one of the key plays of the game was Beal on a possession at 112-110 with about a minute to go, uh, doubled, you know, uh, Bertans is in the corner, and Bertans makes a really good cut into the into the middle of the lane. Beal finds him, layup, they're up four. Uh, the, the thing I hated about the final 55 seconds is that Scott Brooks took out Gafford, 
who had three blocks in the game, 10 rebounds, 19 points in 24 minutes, and decided he'd go with a smaller lineup to switch every screen. I don't think you do that with 55 seconds. Maybe with 25 seconds. And what it led to was two easy layups for Steph Curry, and then they couldn't handle the pressure, and the Warriors had the ball with a chance to tie, and Wiggins missed a layup. I mean, it was a contested layup, missed a layup, and the Wizards won the game. Um, uh, they're Right now, they're playing well. I'm not going to make the mistake that you would then turn around and, and hang me on to suggest they are a good team. They are playing well. They've had a, a favorable schedule for the most part, and it's favorable the rest of the way. They're in the 10 spot right that now. They have the opportunity actually to climb into the 9 spot. They're only uh, two and a half games out of the 9 spot, or, or two and, games. You know, it's, it's, it's a great time to do it because, and I'm serious when I say this, the fans are allowed back now. Now, it's a limited amount of fans, but they timed this surge perfectly uh for you know for their tortured fan base at least people can get to see a a a probably will will, what will be like you said based on their schedule if nothing else a strong finish by this team you know tommy do you know how hard one of those 21 tickets was to get last night because i mean it was mostly you tried did you try um i i couldn't go last night uh, so i did not make any calls to see if there was a possibility um, I had another commitment that wasn't going to be over until seven o'clock, so I decided not to go. But the day before, on StubHub, there were just a few tickets, and then there were none left—three hundred minimum to get in. So now that's Steph Curry driven. Of course it is. Okay, so I I understand that, but, but that's that's still that's that's impressive. <laughs> yes, this is the this is the key for the Wizards. Uh, box office success only sell two thousand tickets a game. <laughs> we can sell out yes. at twenty one hundred. Um, I, I uh, you're right though. The timing of it, and who knows? Maybe you know yeah. if they're in a playoff series against the Sixers or the Nets. Maybe it'll be more fans at that point. Has uh, Miro- it's all it's all it's all harmless fun. <laughs> oh God, it is. It's harmless. It's fun. I look. I thought they'd be a better team. I I never. Bailed on the Westbrook trade. I mean, I I would never take John Wall back over. Well, you just wanted the story and the fun of having Westbrook. No, 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 no. I think Westbrook is is enormously talented, but too self-destructive on the court to lead a team to a championship, which I know, you know, it is, you know, technically the, the whole point. And, you know, he wasn't able to do that in Oklahoma City. He wasn't by himself. But uh, but as a as a talented player, I think he's head and tails above John Wall. And I thought he'd make this team uh, when he's healthy, better and more entertaining and get them back to that Wizards, uh, you know, 40 to 45 win limbo. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. John Wall's not really that close to the Hall of Fame. So um, uh, and and the, the issue really was he was hurt. They had the COVID pause. They had a lot of injuries. They didn't have their full team out there. I had Brooks on the radio show two days ago, and that's really what he talked about. You know, they were, he was in 
deep shit there for a while. The whole team was. It did, did not look like it was going to work. Um, you know, they lost their first-round pick, Denny Avdia, last night um, to a hairline fracture, which, by the way, looked really bad in the moment. And this is the last thing, I, I promise, on the Wizards. Um, I always... I'm apologetic when I talk long about the Wizards because I have today a, is the day to talk. Uh, about I know, them, no, really, the days are when you get playoff games. But I, I do understand what the the significant majority of those that listen to this show really prefer. But I like the Wizards, and I've I, I I love the Wizards, and I've I've always rooted hard for them. But there was this scene when Avdia went down at the end of the first half, and clearly there was an ugly perhaps you know bone sticking through and it looked like you know another one of these scenes that we've seen a lot of in recent years with you know Washington you know athletes in particular but Jordan Bell who they literally just picked up on you know I don't know it was like a 10 dayer uh, recently um he um you know of former you know was a, a golden state warrior he immediately comes off the bench. He's got, I think, his cover, um, you know, a warm-up, and he covers whatever it was that was not pleasant to look at on Avdia's leg because Avdia looked at it and was, oh, a couple players walked over and then immediately turned around and walked away. And this guy, Jordan Bell, just stood and sat with him the entire time Obviously a guy that was not spooked off by anything ugly um, that he was looking at. And I just thought that that was a really interesting thing to to watch. Well, good like, for him. Yeah. I mean, this is a kid, too, a rookie player. Exactly. You know, playing 19 years NBA. old. He was probably scared to death when that happened. No doubt. And Jordan Bell yeah. is not, you know, a longtime veteran, um, but has been in the league, you know, long enough um, and been around, you know, great, well, great people. You know what, 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 what Tommy Shepard said? And we've heard it before, and uh, it, it was, certainly wasn't something his boss uh, uh, ascribed to. But Tommy Shepard has been adamant about getting guys with uh, good, good teammates, yeah, good character guys, yeah. Well, you know, not knuckleheads. <laughs> now we heard Flip Saunders say this on his way out the door. <laughs> True. Uh, on our show. Yeah. In fact, he said it, uh, but. Uh, so that that Jordan Bell sounds like like a Tommy Shepard kind of player. Well, you know, I had Randy Whitman on the radio show a month ago, maybe two months ago. I can't remember now. And um, you know, one of the things he said, he said we needed to keep a core group of guys together, and we decided not to. And you know, one of my favorite players, Trevor Ariza. Yeah. He, he he said he said that was just a massive mistake by the organization. We we had you know not only maturity and a real adult um, and a real leader, but we had a, our best defender and a guy who played really well with John. And you know it was to chase Kevin Durant. Remember all in for Durant. Oh or, yeah. You know um, Durant in sixteen, I think it was. And he said the same thing about Nene. You know, he said, look, you know, he wasn't always the easiest guy, but there was a leadership and there was a there was a maturity there that, you know, rubbed off on, you know, at the time I was coaching two very young players <clears throat> in Wall and Beal who were going to be the cornerstone. And anyway, um, I think you're right. I think, you know, Shepard's got an emphasis on um, looking for really good players, uh, but also looking for, you know, adults. Um, right. Anyway. Uh, hey, have you ever broken your ankle playing basketball? I have never. Uh, yes, I've broken my ankle once. 
Um, but I have had, like anybody who's played a lot of sports, basketball in particular, so many high ankle sprains that literally both of my ankles are occasionally after long walks or after a round of golf, like there will be some swelling. Well, I have in a, in a two-year period. A break is better time, than a high ankle sprain, just so everybody well, understands that in terms of From recovery. the time I was uh, 16 to 18, uh, no, actually 17 and 19, I broke each ankle twice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Three times playing basketball. Yeah, of course. And once playing uh, sandlot tackle football. Um, that's it. Basketball players in particular, ankles. I mean, how many times have all of you just rolled that ankle and ended up with that high ankle sprain and, you know, the swelling and uh, a high ankle sprain is more difficult to deal with, you know, than a break sometimes. Um, All right. uh, We've got a couple of other things to get to. We'll start to do that right after this word from one of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Little draft talk coming up here um, momentarily. But, Tom, you wrote a column uh, for the Washington Times, um, and it's a Bruce Allen, Dan Snyder take. Um, And you have a great line in it, which I will read here shortly, but go ahead and tell everybody what your column was about. Well, it was about the how, you know, we should not have been surprised by Dan Snyder, you know, going after Bruce Allen in this uh, libel suit he has against the website in India. He's not suing Bruce per se, but he wants to depose him because he thinks somehow that Bruce is involved in the so-called smear campaign against Snyder. Uh but uh, we should have known it would come to this because these guys live for revenge and resentment. This is what they do, both of them. I mean, this is this is their currency, you know. So of course, I mean, it, it would seem at this point, with Snyder getting 100% control of the team, and seemingly, you know, I mean, whatever whatever penalty he's going to get in any kind of Beth Wilkinson report is almost the cost of doing business. So he's won, you know, he's won. Why go through this anymore? Why go through it is because he wants revenge. It can't be to clear his good name because he doesn't have a good name. 
Well, I told you that I had this guy um, on that had written about this, and I um, I said, you know, he was a legal guy, and I said, what would the damages be with a guy whose reputation is pretty hard to tarnish? Like, how much worse could a reputation be? Is that a real thing? Like, you know, be, by the way, my, my, you have two lines in your column that I love. First of all, you wrote, as he continues this fight, does Snyder realize that with every article about his lawsuit, someone mentions him and Jeffrey Epstein, you know, to describe <laughs> the case? It's a really good point. Like, you know, as you say, um, you know, is the juice worth the squeeze? Like, whatever he's going to get out of this in sort of su- some sort of satisfaction of calling out the people um, that that were behind this, you know, all the while, every single time it comes up, you know, we're talking about what the smear campaign was. And in the in that conversation, Dan Snyder and Jeffrey Epstein's names are yes. mentioned over and over it has again. To, be pro- to explain it, you have to mention it. And then you wrote this. Snyder isn't suing Allen, at least not yet. But he suspects that Allen was somehow part of this alleged smear campaign that allegedly included former minority owner and Joe Gibbs confidant Dwight Schar and wants to question Allen under oath. Tommy then writes, there aren't enough Bibles in Joel Osteen's garage for that oath. <laughs> First of all, maybe Joel Osteen doesn't even have any Bibles in his garage. Um, but uh, yeah, that would be... The, I promise to tell the truth. Only the whatever the oath is yes. with Bruce with Bruce Allen. Um, I mean, come on, Bruce Allen under oath. Yeah, what a circus that would be. It really is true, though. Like you know, the best advice. I mean, I I, I don't know. I I I actually go round and round on this. Like, I think on some level, obviously, this is not an innocent guy. In Snyder. And, you know, there, there's probably a lot of stuff we don't even know. I've heard stories that are horror stories that I don't want to repeat because I don't know them to be true. Um, and I'm talking about, you know, personal stuff and the, the treatment of people, not just inside the organization, but close to the organization. And there are always people of, you know, lesser stature, at least in his mind. He, you know, he's the opposite of, you know, uh, my father always told me, treat superstars like normal people, normal people like superstars. He's the opposite. You know, he treats normal people like peons and superstars like, you know, godlike figures. You know, yes. I mean, he's such, you know, uh, he he's enamored with, with, with that, that stuff. Um, but uh, at the same time, you know, if there was a concerted attempt to smear his name regardless of what kind of reputation he has, I would be pissed too. And I wouldn't want them to get away with it. You know, in the, again, the, 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 this, I know we're being repetitive here, so I won't go on much longer. But the bottom line is, did Dwight Shar and Bruce Allen and John Moog and M- Mary Beth whatever and, and Jessa McC- like what did they think the league was going to do? Just take their word for it and force them to sell the team? 
if they were making up stuff that wasn't true with the intent on getting the league to force him to sell so that he'd have to sell with the minority owners so they could get a bigger you know, payday because he was selling too, did they not think that there would be some sort of investigation into whether or not these allegations were true or not? I don't get that, it. I, I, that, that doesn't make sense because we're talking about people like, like John Moog knows how the NFL operates. And he, he was one of the guys who helped get the Ravens, you know, get the Browns moved from Cleveland to Baltimore. So John Moog knows exactly how the NFL operates. So I can't see him being naive enough to think that uh, this will fix everything. This will fix this guy. And I'll, I'll help my clients get their team. There, there's, there's, you know, we get trips and drabs of this, and it's always entertaining. But the motivation for for some of it, I mean, it's going to make a hell of a story at some point because we really don't know why why do this if the motivation is to force Snyder to sell the team. I mean, nobody in their right mind is going to think uh, NFL owners are going to believe this smear campaign without some kind of proof. Right, and so that that just makes me and has skeptical of some of this all along because the motivation was to make him look terrible for the purposes of him being forced to sell the team, but it just wasn't going to work, and smart people would know that that wasn't going to work. And then the other part is, is didn't anybody at, at any point in time suggest just the possibility that in the league's eyes, like other owners, you know, they may not like Dan, but some sort of concerted attempt by his minority owners and his former team president to smear his name with lies is going to make everybody say, uh-uh, that's not, that's not right. That's, so it almost in, in some ways may have turned him, at least in league circles, into at least briefly a sympathetic figure. And again... And again, the the point is, is is it didn't work. It actually backfired because it made the post story, which was real, it made it look benign compared to the rumors. Yes. So yes, it did. So benign as you were the one who broke the story and pointed out the the team actually sent the post story out to it to to who it's it's season ticket holders no to its sponsors its advertisers Sponsor. its big clients its its business partners saying look here this post story this is accurate the other stuff you heard uh uh-uh, uh it's not accurate yeah no we 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 we, we so sexually bizarre. harassed 15 women and by the way there are probably more coming but he never he doesn't know Jeffrey Epstein that's wrong I mean, it really is. That's that's one of the more incredible things to me in this whole yeah. thing. Um, anyway, uh, so anyway, here it is, April twenty second, and no Beth Wilkinson report yet. You're you said to me last week. Did you say it? Uh, yeah, I did. I point out in the column. Right, you're that, the uh, you're the one that's approaching fast. Yeah, no, but you're the one that suggested that it would break with the NFL draft. Yes, I said it's a convenient time to bury okay. an even watered-down Wilkinson report. <laughs> I say that in the end of the column. For a moment, I actually thought it was Cooley's idea. But no, you said it at the end of the column. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, this thing, the Wilkinson report, uh, it comes out. Uh, interesting. It just broke after Washington just traded up to number eight and took Justin Fields. <laughs> How convenient. Um, I mean, because Roger Goodell said in fe- early February at the Super Bowl that it was close. Yeah. That, I, that the conclusion was close. Yeah. Well, what would be the holdup? A PR timing with the draft? That would be my sinister uh, conclusion. What else could be a reason for the holdup? Because I think it has been done for a while. I don't know. I don't know what else. It would take me well, there's a one while o- to sit down. There's one obvious answer. Okay. Reconciling the recommendations on punishment with what they're going to do. Like there's there's a recommendation or recommendations for punishments, and maybe the league hasn't decided – you know, whether or not they're going to take the recommendations or whether or not they're going to take them and, you know, lessen them or, or whatever. Maybe it's the league that's holding it up. Maybe. But for me, uh, even if he got suspended, considering the point of all this is to force Snyder out, anything less than forcing him to sell the team is a win for the owner. Well, the, the, the forcing him to sell the team, that ship has sailed. I know. I know. It <laughs> I has. mean, they they waived the debt rules so that he could buy out his minority shareholders. I know. He's that like guy said. That's what I mean. He's already won. Unless it's part of, although this would be collusion. Unless it's part of some sort of plan to say, uh, look, I'm not letting them participate in a five billion dollar sale. If I'm going to be forced to sell this thing, I'm going to sell 100% of it at $5 billion after buying back 40% of it at a $2.2 billion valuation. But you can't do that either. That, that... Plus, you know, you can't plus, I mean, look, this guy's so petty. He's not going to get out because, because people hate him. Because, I mean, you've suggested that the family is tired, maybe, of, of being, you know, the most hated man in Washington. Yeah. I don't think he cares about that. Yeah. You know, um, you just reminded me of something. Uh, Somebody sent me this, and I apologize um, because I can't remember who it was who sent it to me. But they reminded me that Dwight Schar was was reprimanded in some way, shape, or form, and that his cut of the 40%, 2200000000 billion, may have been less than what the other two minority owners got. I think that's true. I'm not 100% sure it's true, but it seemed to ring a bell when whomever it was that sent that to me sent that to me. So anyway, um, so that may have been sort of getting Char back. The thing about the sale to the minority owners is it seems to have ended whatever he had with Char, but not with Jessica McLuhan and Bruce Allen, who were not minority owners in the organization, and and couldn't you know accept a buyout, if you will, with probably some sort of you know confidentiality clause included in it about what each would say about the other. I can't imagine. I, I mean, this is a simplistic view, maybe because I'm not a lawyer. But when push comes to shove. If there was ever a lawsuit against Bruce Allen, I can't fathom how Snyder could reasonably hope to survive the discovery of something like that. Well, considering Bruce has to know everything 
He's, Everybody that Dan Snyder has buried. He's done a lot of dumb things as an owner. I mean, you know, go, suing somebody who then w- could bring a lot of things to light on on the plaintiff um, in, in this case it would seem to be silly. For what yes. for, for what reason? But he's done dumb shit before, well, so th- this, this wouldn't this be the first one. I, I the suing out. of the city paper. I mean, tell well, me where, why, the, where that why juice he's was. Why continuing this now? I don't you know. know. It's 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 like uh, that saying that saying about revenge. It's vengeance. Drinking poison and waiting for it to kill your enemy. Right. <laughs> I mean, how does it taste? Well, hopefully he dies first. Now that said, I I'm all in favor of revenge in a lot of oh, in a I, lot of instances. I, I, I know. I know. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, we want to get to this SI story on Alex Smith. Um, I've got a couple of draft thoughts when we come back, uh, right after this word from one of our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Something I didn't realize, Tommy, until this morning, that John Clayton is a paid columnist for the Washington Post. Did you know that? Yeah, I knew that. I mean, I mean he writes for them once a week, I think. Yeah, I mean, I've... I've read Clayton a lot in the post, but I didn't realize like he was actually a post columnist. But someone told me that he was. Well, he writes a column for the post. That's not the same always as being a post columnist. Okay, so um, he's he, not a staff member. Is he, he probably? An, so he's just an independent probably, contractor that he and he writes for a lot of n- different newspapers. No, I don't know. He may just write for the post, okay. and I don't know. You know, maybe they did hire him and put him on the payroll. I could be wrong. Somebody but most of these situations yeah. like this, you're an independent contractor. Okay, it's really not important um, because yeah. he wrote in the Post, and this morning he um, wrote a column about you know the trades that could shape the draft, and he went through you know, a bunch of possibilities. And you know the teams that first of all, th- there was a story the other day. You know Miami, you know obviously traded initially with the 49ers, moving back to 12 from three. And then the Dolphins made a trade to move up to six with the Eagles. CBSSports.com had a story the other day that the Dolphins are trying to shop the number six pick. That would be amazing if somehow they traded three to go back to 12, then traded 12 to go up to six, and then ended up getting a lot more to trade back a couple of spots. They have done just a phenomenal job. Eventually, they're going to have to start taking more players, but they've done a phenomenal job um, with the draft. Ultimately, it's got to end up with the right players, though, and I don't know if they got the Tua Tunga-Vailoa thing right. Uh, We'll see. But um, the teams that have been rumored the most as potential teams that would trade up into the top eight now in the draft to get a quarterback are uh, Denver at number nine to make sure that, you know, another team doesn't get in front of them for the quarterback that they want. Um, New England at 15, and really Washington at 19. Those three teams, there have been constant, you know, reports, 
You know, we, we John Kime had the report that Washington's interested in trading up for the right player if he falls, quarterback if he, if he falls. Kime also reported that Washington's interested in moving up maybe only a, a couple of spots for a non-quarterback. Anyway, Clayton um, presented the Washington to Carolina. Carolina has the number eight pick um, possibility, and he wrote the following. The Washington football team will be calling around for a chance at one of the five potential first-round quarterbacks. But it has a problem. Its division rivals own the 10th, 11th, and 12th picks. We've talked about that. Dallas at 10, the Giants 11, Philadelphia 12. Meaning trade-up options are limited. But the Panthers, Ron Rivera's former team, could be willing to deal. And by the way, Carolina has said, or there have been reports, that Carolina is willing to deal. Um, Now that Carolina has traded for Sam Darnold, it probably isn't looking to draft a quarterback and might be willing to move back to Washington's 19th pick. To get a deal done, it might require Washington giving up both uh, both of its third-round picks this year and next year's first-rounder. If Washington can't move up for a quarterback, it could consider moving up a few spots for Micah Parsons or an offensive tackle. Um, this is some of what you know Kime had um, last week, and then you know we had the Lombardi report from now two weeks ago that Trey Lance they're enamored with Trey Lance, and that if he falls, they will be uh, very aggressive in trying to trade up um, for um, uh, for Trey Lance. Um, I, I I I think the whole thing is first of all this this draft because of the five quarterbacks that could go in the first eight picks. You know, that's possible that the five quarterbacks could go in the first eight picks or maybe even less than the first eight. Um, That would be unprecedented. Um, The number of teams that aren't in that top, you know, eight that need quarterbacks that are willing to trade up. Um, This um, era that we're living in, which is it's better to just go for it on the quarterback if you really believe in it than to sit back and hope he falls. It's going to make for a very potentially exciting draft night a week from tonight. Yes, it could. And my position is that if they trade up to eight or above for a quarterback, I really believe it would be for Justin Fields. And that would mean that Justin Fields gets by San Francisco at three, gets by Atlanta or somebody else willing to trade up to four with Atlanta to take him there. Cooley does believe that Fields will be the guy that drops and that the other four are going to go before Fields. A lot of people think that San Francisco is going to take Fields or Lance. I think they're going to take Mac Jones. Um, but it's really a fascinating, like these convers- this conversation we're having right now. It's It's... It's going to be interesting. I think they are interested, and I think they would be aggressive. I think the debate is to which player they'd be aggressive going for and whether or not that player would fall and whether or not there'd be a deal available that would be acceptable because there may be they may be in competition with other teams for, say, Carolina's you know eighth pick. Um, is it is, is it does it make any sense at all to consider? as part of your formula, the lack of success of Ohio State uh, quarterbacks in the league. Wouldn't bother me at all. Wouldn't even be part of my my thought process. Um, 
you know, and and maybe I'm too quick to say that because if you've got a longtime coach in one place that has a certain system and over a long period of time the quarterbacks just don't produce in the NFL, that would be different. Um, and you've had, you know, a Ryan Day and Urban Meyer situation there that's been pretty consistent, you know, and but we just had, you know, it's been Haskins. But, the, the, you know, the future of quarterbacks under Woody Hayes, you know, and other coaches that have come along at Ohio State, that, that wouldn't in, impact me at all. I mean, how many great Tennessee quarterbacks were there in the NFL before Peyton Manning? I know. Um, I'm not saying it should. I'm just saying no. I asked you if, if you would consider it at all. I am all for if they are absolutely bought in, you know, as an organization into, you know, Lance or Fields or Jones, them going up for it. I think if they do, it would be for Fields. That has been my understanding for two months plus that there were at least a couple of key people and personnel that really liked Fields. Lombardi says it's Lance. Um, and maybe it is. I'm just telling you that if if you if I was forced to wager on the quarterback that they moved up to take in the top eight, it would be Fields. It, my preference of the three would be Fields. I know that that's in conflict with Cooley. Cooley's got Fields as number five among those five quarterbacks. Um, I wouldn't really be thrilled with Mac Jones, but I would trust in Rivera and Turner and you know, Herney and Mayhew and Polian and, and Stokes. And I mean, like they got a lot of, they got a lot of cooks in the kitchen right now with a lot of experience. So I think I would trust in that. The other part of this is, would they trade up just maybe a few spots for like a linebacker, like Micah Parsons or a tackle like Slater out of Northwestern, you know, um, one of the big tackles in this draft, you know, to move up, let's just say six spots or five spots to the Chargers pick or to Minnesota's pick, as an example. It's going to cost you your second-round choice, at least based on the draft chart. And it's, you know, it doesn't always, it's not always based on that because you may have a lot of competition. But if they believe, did I tell you this last week that, um, and I think I asked all of you to read this story by Jeff Zegwold, ESPN.com. He had a lot of NFL people, draft people, personnel people off the record to do a story about how draft boards are sort of put together. And I thought there were two really interesting things. Number one is that 85% of the evaluation on players is based on their college tape. It's not on pro days or combine or you know anything else. And really the only thing that impacts someone's draft position um, after the 85% that's on tape is something negative about you know the, the, you know a red flag on personality or you know legal or whatever you know drugs or whatever that, that that that's what typically happens that changes somebody's position on the board is something negative and then the other part of it was that most teams don't assign 32 first round grades that most teams put a first round grade on far fewer players like the, um, you know, the, somebody guesstimated that there. Uh, one general manager said the most first-round grades we've ever had was 27, and recently we only had 17. There are 32 first-round picks. So I bring it up because Washington is selecting 19. What if Washington's board only has 
15 first-round grades, and they can trade up four spots or five spots to take that player and give up a second-rounder, well, then you do it. If you can't trade up and you get to 19, that's when you look to trade back as much as you can and pick up other picks. If you don't have a first-round grade on Rashad Bateman or um, you know Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, the linebacker from Notre Dame, which I think they probably would have a first-round grade on him, um, that's when you try to trade back. The problem is, do other teams feel the same way? And are they trying to trade back? Um, but, you know, every draft board is different. But it's it's going to be an interesting situation. That, that was something I've never thought about, which is, okay, just stay there at 19 and take your player. Well, you know, if the best player and the only player left when you get to, you know, say 14 or 15 that you have a first-round grade on, is Christian Daris, Christian Darisaw, the line, the lineman from Virginia Tech, and you can give up a second or like a third to move up two or three spots and take him, you do it rather than sit there at 19 and take a player that you don't have a first-round grade on. So there, there are a lot of things that are going to be in play here. Um, by the way, something we didn't talk about yesterday or maybe the day before, uh, is Peter Schrager, who is a, a respected draft guy for the NFL Network, has Washington taking Travis Etienne, the running back uh, from Clemson, at 19. Fans went nuts over that one. Went nuts over that. Picking a running back at, at, in the first round. That's become a no-no. Um, yeah, it shouldn't be that much of a no-no um, because – you know, Christian McCaffrey was taken in the first round. Uh, Saquon Barkley was taken in the first round. These are major impact players, I believe. Zeke Elliott was taken in the first round. You know, look, I know the history of, of, of running backs, and I know that Dalvin Cook was in the second round and Derrick Henry was in the second round. Like, you know, debatably the two best running backs in the NFL, Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry, were both second-round picks. I understand that. But again, going back to what I was just saying, if the last first-round grade you have as you're sitting there at 19 is Najee Harris and you can't trade back, and Harris is by far and away the best player on your board, and nobody at a position of greater need is even close, you take Najee Harris. That's my position. I know a lot of you disagree with that. By the way, I love Harris. I think he is a combination of Derrick Henry and Marshawn Lynch. Not Travis Etienne. I, w- I think Etienne's going to be a, a good back, but he's the guy that I'd wait until the second round or the third round. But again, obviously, as Washington fans, we're pretty excited. And, and for reasonable reasons, you know, uh, uh, for justifiable reasons, with Antonio Gibson, he really looked good last year. He looked very good. You know, and you got him in the I third mean, round. Really, really a, 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 could be a potential stud of a player. Absolutely. So okay, I mean, let's let's really. I don't want to. I don't want to get into this. I don't want to do it. I was going to say let's get ahead of ourselves, but I don't want to do that. What? Just say it. If they draft Justin Fields, yeah, with the eighth pick in the draft, does he start? Cooley thinks Fields needs time. Lance needs time. Um, Mac Jones is ready to, to, to go. Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence. He thinks actually Trevor Lawrence may need some time. Um, uh, 
again, I've said this a million times, quarterbacks taken in the top half of the draft, there have only been about three or four of them in the last 10 years that have sat before week five. You know, right. Dwayne Haskins was one of them. Jake Locker was one of them. Mahomes was one of them. It doesn't happen. And it didn't happen last year with Tunga Vailoa, as well as Ryan Fitzpatrick was playing. So uh, I'm excited about seeing Ryan Fitzpatrick. If they, you know, part of me thinks if they take him and they trade up and they trade a first rounder and two, and, and two third rounders to move up 11 spots to take Justin Fields and he's not ready to play five, six, seven weeks in, in, into the season – then maybe you made a mistake. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. So, I I don't know. I I mean, I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is right now. There's a really good chance he could play at a high level next year. And so maybe Fields really looks the part. But they're like, you know, right now things. You know, it's like the Alec. Look, Mahomes sat not because he wasn't ready to play. Mahomes sat because they started off five and zero. If they had started off two and three or three and two, even I bet you Mahomes would have been in there a lot sooner than the next year. That was the that was the thing that doesn't get pointed out enough about the Alex Smith Patrick Mahomes year. That you know, so many people have have been so complimentary of. Oh, Kansas City Andy Reid, they were so patient. You know, they knew he needed a year to sit and be mentored by Alex Smith. And I know that Alex Smith had a lot to do with mentoring Mahomes. I'm not being I'm not being condescending towards that. But the bottom line is, is Mahomes, when we did see him, does anybody really think that Patrick Mahomes, had he come in midseason in his rookie year in 2017, wouldn't have been great? They started off five and zero. Smith was having the best year of his career by miles with incredible weapons around him. I mean, as good a skill position situation as you could have in the league. Kareem Hunt was on that team. Obviously, Tariq Hill, Travis Kelsey, you know, etc. They had major star skill position players, and they were rolling. So they're, you know, they're if they were bringing Mahomes along slowly with maybe the intention of putting him in at some point, they didn't have to. They were 5-0. and now they did hit a, a lull in midseason, and I thought there was a chance Smith could get benched. Um, but they got it together, and then they lost in the first round of the playoffs. I would bet you any amount of money; it's an unprovable bet that Andy Reid, unless he ever admits it in a book, that Andy Reid had to think about Mahomes at some point for the postseason. Had to. Yeah. Mahomes. I gave would him- think he absolutely. Um. All right. Uh, there's this story in Sports Illustrated that just broke before we came on with a lot of information from Alex Smith about what it was like when he was cleared to play here. Some of it we've heard and some of it we haven't. That's next after this word from one of our sponsors. So a story in Sports Illustrated um, came out. Sports Illustrated, what is the what what is the current state of Sports Illustrated, Tommy? Just an online magazine, or do they still have a print edition? I don't know. I don't know anymore. I don't know. Um, it's hard. It's hard to keep up with the collapse of my industry. I know it's so true. <laughs> yeah. So the name of this story, written by Greg Bishop this morning, which came out, um, Alex Smith healed enough to walk away. 
um, the subheading, a miraculous comeback. The team he believes, the team he believes didn't want him. The two that still do, and the decision to end a career unlike any other. It's written by Greg Bishop. It's a very long story. It goes through a lot of different things, including basically him writing this story with Alex Smith from their Big Island, Hawaii um, home. Um, But we're going to read to you the parts that deal with the Washington football team. So I'll start this particular paragraph, which is pretty early in the story. It's a very long story. The Alex Smith comeback story can, can unspool like a fairy tale, but it's not. The warm and fuzzy narrative wrapped around his 2020 season ignored the tension that consumed him that started when he returned to practice after 21 months, dozens of surgeries and numerous infections, only to discover that the Washington football team didn't quite know what to make of his return. He understood the hesitance, same as he recognized his own anxiety. The franchise had overhauled its coaching staff that spring, hiring Ron Rivera and his preferred assistants, none of whom had invested in Smith, whom the Washington football team acquired in a trade two years earlier. They couldn't have been expected to understand the rationale of the military rehab specialists, the only people on earth who knew that even a severe injury like Smith's not only could be overcome, but already had been. Sometimes Smith saw his coaches flinch when they spied the blood that dripped from underneath his brace. He told friends he would not complain if they released him, told him he wasn't good enough, or deemed him to be too much of a risk. Still, he did not understand the tactics his coaches used to keep him sidelined. Listen to some of this. First, they placed him on the physically unable to perform list, which we knew. Even though world-renowned doctors had pronounced him physically able to perform, at camp, Players wore GPS trackers, and none traversed 4,000 yards a day on average like Smith, whose coaches asked him to carry extra weight, push sleds and hurdle bags for drills, tasks he had never done in 15 pro seasons, let alone before his leg had to be rebuilt. Smith believed the team wanted to see if it could break him. And if that sounds paranoid, the team physician agreed with him. They seem to be asking, Dr. Robin West says, what can he withstand? Are you sure you're clearing him? The coaches would ask Dr. West. West would try and explain. The short answer, yes. The disclaimer, she would assess his leg based on her informed medical opinion. She says, I got very little little support. He almost died. He almost lost his leg. Why would he want to? Reasonable questions, which she answered, well, that's not your decision. Smith found the coaches patronizing, meaning he believed they preferred a cute story, the comeback already at the end. His father, Doug, says he believes the team sabotaged the return. None of the Smiths could figure out why. The coaches could worry about the injury in his future, but they were not the experts. Uh, Smith said, quote, for this story, I'd rather have somebody right in my face say, what are you thinking? It It pissed me off, essentially, that they didn't. Now, Rivera, as part of a statement to SI for this story, provided by a team spokesperson, said, quote, 
I was scared to death about putting Alex back out there, and that is something I struggled with every day. It's unfortunate that he feels we patronized him because I can tell you that was not our intention. At the end of the day, I commend Alex because he proved everybody wrong and exceeded any reasonable expectations that anyone had set for him. He not only made it back onto the field but led us to the playoffs. It was a truly remarkable feat. I'm going to read just the rest of this part. Smith was supposed to be grateful. Of course, he was grateful, and far more than they could understand. But it wasn't enough to simply get back, run around, throw a few passes. He wanted more, and his desire spoke less to the worst day of his life and more to the rest of them. He, his wants were existential, and they stemmed from a career that almost ended long before 2018. At that point, on the eve of, of a season, his own team did not want him to play. Smith resolved to prove the world wrong again. If he didn't at least try, he said, quote, I don't see how I could exist, closed quote. Some of this, you know, came out in that other story, which then... uh, The GQ story. The GQ story. But some of it didn't. And I think the most incredible part is that they were pushing him physically with like menial tasks typically assigned to like rookie players. I mean, what would you think if that happened to you? That they're trying to drive me out. This is a complicated issue because I mean, I, I feared for this guy playing and I cringed when he was uh, on, on the field. But uh, you know, I mean, the doctor's point is right. Once you accepted him back there, then you had really no right to treat him different than any other player. You know, either cut him or play him or, or, or treat him as a regular team, teammate, a regular player. Uh, there, there's a lot going on here, and I, but I understand the coach's, you know, personal trepidations about it and uh, they've never had to deal with something like this before probably and they probably made some mistakes in how they dealt with it as an organization i always had a bigger problem with the marketing and business side you know taking advantage of the comeback story like it was some kind of great thing that that said a lot about the the football team you know i always had an issue with with the whole marketing thing since they did try to basically you know, not play him. And then once he played and, and, and did well, they said, Oh, look at this. This is great. Isn't it? You know, I, but, but the, the other thing is the, if I'm a Washington football fan, you got the doctor, you know, speaking out, uh, you know, questioning the team on this. And you got Alex Smith suggesting that the Dr. West who resigned recently, a couple weeks ago, out of the blue, uh, after 18 years in the NFL, basically Alex Smith said, I can't help but wonder, God, did I start that? So right. Alex Smith thinks that the doctor resigned because of the whole flap right. between the doc and the team. I, you know, when the story came out in GQ a couple of weeks ago, I, I well, let, let me just, when he said in this story that, um, um, hold on. Where is it? Uh, bear with me. It's a long story. Um, when he, when he said 
that he told friends he would not complain if they released him, told him he wasn't good enough or deemed him to be too much of a risk. You know, that he he would have understood that. You know, and but I do... And, and, and so when so him understanding that also syncs up with me with what Rivera said. It's like Rivera had the same concerns we all did, which is we watch Project 11. We can't, you know, and I remember saying very early on, this is the organization that can't put him back out on the field. They can't take this risk with what they've gone through with Trent Williams and medical and the whole thing. They can't be the team that ends his life or, or causes him to lose his leg. Like, let somebody else take that risk. Um, so I think, you know, I, like, I wonder why he was, why they didn't release him. Why, yes. di- why didn't they do that? That's a big why. Be- because Rivera says, I struggled with it every day. And yet, somehow, they were pushing him not on the field. Like, what were they hoping? That it would, pr- like, that, that you know, um, that, that, performing these these menial tasks of pushing sleds and carrying extra weight around the field would somehow break them and at least it wouldn't happen in the view of all the public watching on TV a game uh, or maybe it would give them more of a reason to say yeah this just isn't going to work they should have just said god we respect this we want to be so supportive of you it's a new group here we're moving in a different direction we wish you the absolute best yes now you know there was a, a potential big salary cap hit last year too yeah. um you know so there were those considerations but I, I don't know why they put him through what they put him through this is the part of the story where it makes me like i i, I didn't like what alex said in the gq thing and i and i i thought that it was not him understanding you know the the risk that the organization had putting him on the field you know and and by the way how grateful he should be that they ultimately did give him the opportunity and it sounds like he does understand that he should be grateful for that opportunity and understands the risk that the team took and by the way ultimately it worked out for both parties he won the comeback player of the year he solved that you know he he completed that journey and oh by the way he was pretty good on the field as it turns out, and was a significant contributor to a team that ultimately went to the to the postseason. But I think it must have killed him not to start that playoff game. Yeah, it must have killed him to watch a guy who who basically they picked up off the street start ahead of him. That must have killed him. Him him saying though, and this I would believe to be accurate. Smith believed the team wanted to see if it could break him. Well, yeah. The the coaches are asking him to carry you know extra weight, push sleds and hurdle bags for drills. Here's your quarterback, who's 36 years old, has been in the league. He's one of the most respected players in your organization and in, in in forever. And you know, and by the way, he's exactly the kind of dude that would do it without complaining. You know, I can yes. do whatever you're asking anybody else to do. But it seems weird that that's how they would test him or that's how they would try to break him. And if they were trying to do this because they didn't want to take the salary cap hit, that's a Bruce Allen move. You know, I don't want to pay the guy, so let's force him to quit. Yeah, but Bruce Allen wasn't there. I mean, in the relationship. I know that, but that's a Bruce Allen-like move. I mean, the, the, the reason he came back and was given this opportunity, you know, one reason, 
could be that the owner asked the coaching staff, asked Ron Rivera to to try to make it work. Remember, what, what, there was a line about don't bet against that guy. Didn't the owner have a line in, in one of the stories we read where he told uh, Ron, don't bet against the old yes, guy? Yes, yeah, definitely. Yes. Ugh. Well, I think they were trying to stack the odds, I guess, weren't they? <laughs> I mean, the only thing you can just sit back and say is, thank God it worked out. Because the team didn't really want to do it, and I can totally understand why. For whatever reason, they so decided, for whatever reason, salary cap or otherwise, or Snyder involvement or, or otherwise, they decided not to do what he said he would have been fine with, and that is if they confronted him and said, hey, we, we just don't want to take the risk. You're just not, you know, in the plans. Um, and instead, they took this weird path of you know, almost, you know, not humiliating him would be the, you know, treating him with some level of condescension, actually, you know, to, to have him do some of these tasks to sort of test him. That did, that doesn't make me. Well, he said patronize. Yeah. Yeah. So same thing, basically. I mean, I, 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 I don't, I don't understand why they would have gone that path. I still think ultimately, you know, I, I feel good about Ron Rivera. I know what he was entering into. I just think ultimately he knew and Scott Turner knew that Dwayne was no good. And he didn't want to be the coach that went through this with Alex Smith because really what was the end game there anyway? It was the question we constantly asked each other. What's the end game here? Yeah. And after that first game against the Rams, like, what's the point? I said they should release him after that game. I know. Listen, I agree with all that, but then they turned around and used him as a marketing tool. Well, no, that's not the only reason they used him. They used him, and he played well, and he was a significant contributor. No, I'm talking about the business side. Okay. Well, how did they do that specifically? Oh, my gosh. Go back and look about the comeback tweets. I know. That came from the Washington I know. football but team. What is, my God. What did it really? It was shameful. What did, what did it really mean? They, they weren't selling more tickets because of it. I, well, it, it was it was changing the image mm-hmm. of the, 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 the team, the poisonous football team. I mean. Changing the image. When, this is, they became, look, they became in part the teddy bear of the NFL because of Ron Rivera's fight against cancer and Alex Smith's comeback. <laughs> I think actually they played up the cancer thing a lot more than Alex Smith's comeback. I mean, remember like some of the signs that were up in the early season games and I know, you know, the, I know, the pregame. Go back, go back to Alex Smith when he stepped on the football field and their activity after that. It was shameful. Anyway, my question is, now will we get a story from NBC Sports Washington that explains uh, what Alex Smith really meant and he didn't really mean all these things? Okay, that's enough. No, that's not enough. They're a, lead, they're a team partner. <laughs> they're not, they're not, I mean, they're, they're, they're the biggest team partner out there. I, Aren't we all partners? Let me just tell you something. If NBC Sports Go Washington, ahead, me. if NBC Sports Washington were paying you to do the Tom Lavero show, which you know it's a half-hour show on the football team on weeknights at, at at 9 p.m. and by the way to write for their website and write columns, 
Um, you would you would behave differently. Oh no. Oh, <laughs> well, then no. you would, then you wouldn't take the job. No, I wouldn't. Okay, so there you go. <laughs> That's teach me, teach me, boss. No, I'm not teaching you. I'm just saying that if you did take that job, you wouldn't have written the column on Snyder and, and Bruce Allen that you wrote yesterday. No, I, well, well, then I wouldn't have taken that job. Well, that okay. There you go. Maybe that's the reason. Actually, the best know. thing, the best, the best thing you can do as as a columnist is uh, for your for your image is get fired uh, by the, by the evil powers that be over what you write. Uh, you know that's, what? That's like winning an award. Badge of honor. Uh, really interesting story. Um, yes. I mean, sabotage more of it, is the and word. I'm sure we'll see some backlash from the uh, from the cheerleading squad that wanted to just uh, still embrace the Alex Smith feel-good story. Um, look, you know what? The story is a feel-good story, regardless of all of this. Both things can be true. It was, yes, they can. It was a, You're right. It was Both a things really, can be true. It was a really incredible story that for a moment on that October afternoon in the rain against the Rams when Aaron Donald jumped on top of him, <laughs> thought it was going to end like I had predicted, which is don't be the team that puts him back. But You can't be the team that puts him back out there when he gets You're hurt right. again. And it's a miracle that he wasn't hurt in that game. He you was he was ambushed right. in that game. You know what the best part of that thing is? Think about what we're reading now about all of Ron Rivera's concerns. And what did he say after the game as to why he didn't pull put put Kyle Allen back in the game? Because Kyle Allen got hurt, okay? As as Alex Smith was being demolished during the course of of that game, six sacks, not one first down, one of the worst quarterback halves in the history of the game. He said he was concerned about putting Kyle Allen back out there. He I didn't know. want him to get hurt. I know. <laughs> but I know. at the same time, everybody held their collective breath when Aaron Donald jumped on him. And they got lucky. You know, they got lucky in that he didn't get hurt. They got the benefit, marketing benefit, as you described, of having this incredible story on in their uniform. And, oh, by the way, him playing well, and contributing in a significant way to to six wins or five wins of the seven and a playoff berth. There you go. Um, one more thing before we leave for the day. Yeah. Mark Turgeon's hiring Danny Manning to be an assistant coach. They were teammates at Kansas back in the 80s. And Danny Manning's had, you know, um, many opportunities to uh, be a head coach, Wake Forest most recently, and has not been a successful head coach. But you know what he has been? He's been a a pretty successful recruiter and a pretty good developer of big men. And I think it's such a great hire. I mean, obviously they're friends, lifelong friends and former teammates. And Danny Manning was in broadcasting this year um, after being fired uh, by Wake Forest at the end of the 2020 season. Um, But uh, so DeAndre Haynes, who was an assistant for Turgeon, took the job at Marquette's from the uh, the Midwest, and I'm telling you, Turgeon's having quite the off season here. You know, to add Danny Manning to your staff, to add their third transfer—I forget if I mentioned this on the show yesterday—Ian Martinez transferred from Utah. If you watch the highlights on Ian Martinez, I, I mean, I've already talked to a couple of people who think that this guy may be the best 
of their three transfers, ultimately. And he's a freshman, so they have him for the next couple of years. He was a top 75 guy committed to Utah, really came on at the end of his freshman year, had a great game against Southern Cal in the quarterfinals of the Pac-12 tournament. Ridiculously athletic at 6'3", can really shoot it. Um, but I, I, I'm, I think everything's rounding into form. The key here is Aaron Wiggins and Eric Ayala. Um, if both of them come back, certainly you want Wiggins back more than anybody. Um, but if both of them come back, this is a top five to ten team. And even if they don't at this point, this team's very intriguing going into next year in the Big Ten. Uh, you have anything? Do you have anything else? I got nothing else for you, boss. Okay. I think that's it. The NFL rules changes. We I can talk to Cooley about that. They announced that the schedule comes out May twelfth, Tommy. So I will I know, have that's a big moment for you. I'll buddy. have a mock schedule the week before. Um, that's it for the day. Uh, back tomorrow, hopefully with Cooley. He had knee surgery today, and I hope that went well for him. All right, Tommy. I'll talk to you later. All right, boss.